with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you. And every living creature of all flesh and the water shall, be, shall never again become a flood to destroy all the earth. When the bow is seen in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please see that. Let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Father, for this day. Again, uh, bless your word to our hearts. Move our spirits to more Christ-likeness. Please bless us as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Even though I did not grow up in the church, the big biblical events... Things like Noah and the Ark, Moses parting the Red Sea, Daniel in the lion's den, Samson. I had all those and knew about them. They were even taught in school. But I always smile at the story of Noah. When I was 12 years old, my brother and I, he was four years older, we went to see Bill Cosby live. His comedy bit on Noah stuck with me. It still makes me smile. His portrayal of Noah could be any human in that situation. And his frustrations, his desperation, and his relationship with God. But when I became a believer in my 20s, the account of Noah still makes me smile, but for a different reason. This account is more about God than it is about Noah. So the first point in this section, or this passage of scripture, is spine and surety. Spine and surety. Did you notice all of the capital I's in that passage? There are eight of them. Eight personal pronouns, I. And it all represents God. Amazing. In the account of Noah, we see the first direct Reference to covenant. It's brought out in Genesis 6 and to its culmination here. Of course, the first promise was with Adam, but our passage is explicit. It is about God and what he has done and will do. Now, covenant is a common word for uh, theologically reformed circles. In my Baptist circle, now some Baptists are covenantal Baptists, but in my circles, uh, formerly as a Baptist, and yes, that was my background for 25 plus years, covenant was not a common theme. Of course, I studied the new covenant in Christ, 
but it was not the focus and the depth that we see in the richness we have as Reformed Christians. The covenant runs through the Bible. One commentator calls it the spine of the Bible. And the spine of the Bible, and what that really intimates to me is that the covenant is stitched in every page of this Bible. All the way through, you see God's promises and his faithfulness to it. So covenant here and in our lives, we refer to ourselves as a covenant family. It's important for us to know and appreciate the depth of what that is. I love the fact that God uses covenant to move and keep his plan moving forward is integrated from Genesis to Revelation. Now, covenant is a promise, a promise by an oath of loyalty. But here's the kicker. That covenant is only as good as the one who makes it. And we have God as the one who makes it. And surety, surety is a person who takes responsibility for another's performance of an undertaking. God is our surety. He is the one, even when we mess up. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand because all of you would have to raise your hand. How, how, how often have you messed up in the last, oh, I don't know, 10 minutes? God is our surety in spite of that because of the covenant he's made with us. Christians must remember that in a covenant, God binds and unites himself to us, promises every good to us to be our God and Father. We are his sheep of his pasture and receive all through his Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So spine and surety, and then we have what is the Noahic covenant in that, at that covenant part. What the Noahic covenant is simply is God's commitment or promise to never wipe out humans and animals by flood and preserve the earth as it is stated in Genesis 8.22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. God said three times to Noah and sons in this short passage, I establish... I make stand. So the, we ask ourselves the question, so who is the one who establishes this covenant? Is it Noah? No, it's God. It's God. God establishes it and makes it stand, it stand for his purposes and glory and for his covenant people. Now what is the Noahic covenant is not? It is not specifically salvific. In other words, it's not part of the salvation message. However, it is a covenant of grace. Because God didn't have to preserve Noah and family. But what he did is he also preserved the line of Shem, one of Noah's sons, for the birth of the one who saves us. The line of Shem is where Jesus Christ came from. So it's not specifically salvific. 
And again, we ask ourselves, who provides the security for this covenantal promise? The source of the covenant is God alone. Noah did not initiate or ratify it. No human made it. And here's an important point. No human can break it. No human can break it. It is unconditional and uncompromising. Hebrews 10.23 said, Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. The spine and surety of our faith. So the next point is signed, sealed, and delivered. Our Lord took great pains to comfort Noah and family here. He repeated and repeated his promise to care for them all, care for the subsequent generations, and even the earth and all its animals. It's like a father, and for those fathers and mothers out here with young kids, at times you had to go into their bedrooms and quiet them. They were afraid. And you go in there and you say, and I remember this so clearly, of going in and saying, it's okay. It's okay. And repeatedly reminding that I'm there. And I'm not going anywhere. And giving them comfort. And even to the point of saying, hey, you know, here's a nightlight. Let this remind you that I'm right here. And so God did that through the rainbow. God shows the rainbow, which is obviously appropriate when God brings clouds into the lives of people who just came out of a catastrophic flood. Now the word uh, that we have in the ESV and several other Bible translations is bow, not rainbow. But the word in Hebrew is the same for both. The bow as a weapon of war and the rainbow. Here it is the rainbow. Most of us can visualize in our mind rainbows we have seen. In this sign of the covenant with Noah, I remember those. It's, it's a fantastic image that we have. Have you ever seen double rainbows? Amazing. And then seeing rainbows from airplanes. All those things that God reminds us that he remembers. So here's his covenant sign. Every time the rainbow is set in the sky, God tells Noah, I will remember. And the rainbow, the sign, will remind Noah that God remembers his covenant. And that's fantastic. Is there anyone that will remember more than God since he's perfect and cannot forget? The sign is beautiful. Remember that. But nowadays, we see rainbows on all sorts of things, don't we? We see it on little girls' uh, lunch pails with uh, unicorns. We also see it on flags, right? It's called the rainbow flag for a political and social movement. Brothers and sisters, don't let that take God's sign away from you. Every time you say, I don't care what they think it represents. I want you to remember this is God's rainbow. God's rainbow. And he will never forget his covenant with his people. God has delivered as history testifies. His own word cannot be broken. 
our world will continue to turn until the purposes of the Lord are signed, sealed, and delivered. And then third point is saved. Saved. Noah and his wife and three sons and their wives. Oh, by the way, I tried to find out Noah's wife's name. It's an exercise in futility. So uh, the last time, the last website I checked, you know, because that's the authority, <laughs> had over 500 different names that have come up over the last two or 3,000 years. So anyway, we don't really know his wife's name. But can you imagine her work? If there's anybody that needed a Mother's Day, it would have been Noah's wife. But anyway. <laughs> Noah and his wife, three sons and their wives, were saved out of the entire human race to multiply and fill the earth. In Isaiah, God reminds Israel about Noah while promising his Redeemer who will bring the ultimate eternal peace with him. It, it reads... For this is like the days of Noah to me when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake. But my favor will not be removed from you nor will my covenant of peace be shaken. Says the Lord who has compassion on you. Now these same promises are available and made to those in Christ Jesus. Brethren, listen to the covenant promises. These may not have the word covenant in it, but they express the same promise and commitment of God in Christ. And you will know them, but listen to them as to what God promises. John 10, 7 through 9, So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All those who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Hebrews eleven six 6-8, talks about the faith of Noah. By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. And then lastly, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. There are some action words in this passage that are what's God's action. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Saved. 
saved by the same guarantor that Noah had, but to our great covenant promises. And probably the most important question I will ask this morning, are you part of that covenant family? Are you part of that covenant family? There's only one entrance. It was just read there in John 14, 6. You must repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your souls. And if you're not part of our covenant family, you need to do that today. So I ask you to see in your own heart whether or not you're saved. So going to how does this apply to our lives? Well, obviously the salvation does. But Francis Schaeffer was a Christian apologist. He wrote a book titled, How Then Shall We Live? I think every time that we express or teach or preach God's word, we need to make that transition. Well, what does that mean? Now what? How does a biblical truth move us? How should it move us? So how should this familiar passage of Noah and God's covenant move us to live more like Christ? Well, the first thing is kind of a side note. Um, I'm normally, I walk a lot. This is about to, I told Tim I didn't want a microphone over my head and I'm getting antsy. So you'll just have to excuse me if I feel like I'm dancing up here. But I really want you to to understand that there is an important interpretive principle that we all should have. And I had it uh, right down the street here at Southeastern Seminary. My first seminary semester was January 1987, so just a couple of years ago. On that campus at that time, arguments abounded about things like whether the uh, Noah's flood was real, um, whether Jonah was really swallowed by a fish or was it just a story. And then the heavier ones, like whether or not the word of God was true and inerrant. On into whether or not I had a professor ask me if I actually believed Satan was real. So those questions, those arguments, and Baptists, in my experience, love to argue. So those were going on. You have to remember, I was an ex-enlisted former Marine out only four months from the Marine Corps. So all I could do was go back to the KISS principle. You know what the KISS principle is, right? Well, I have one that's a modified, and it's clean, from the Marines. It's KISS BISS. Keep it simple because I'm stupid. And that's how you go into these things sometimes and you feel like you're overwhelmed with the arguments of people who are definitely smarter than you. And my first principle, my first, I'm not saying it's everyone's, my first principle in anything that happens with the miraculous of God is I ask myself a question. If God of the Bible is true and real, then could he have made a worldwide flood? If you answer anything other than that, he is not the God of the Bible. 
And so an interpretive principle for us when people challenge the validity of certain things is to say not whether that particular event happened, but what was God's purposes in it and who is God in it. That's important. That's how we move to making decisions about what we will do with God's word. You see, it's not about how God got the animals on the ark or whether the flood was local or worldwide. It's about our actual belief or not about God. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and nothing limits him or he's not the God of the Bible. Plain and simple. From him and through him and to him are all things. So brothers and sisters, I ask you if you believe this about God Almighty or not. If the God of the Bible is real and true, the one who created all that there is out of nothing, and more importantly, saved this pathetic soul and saved your soul. Please, you must know who your God is. And so as we look to this, what is he teaching us? The miraculous particular doesn't matter. What he was doing is furthering his plan. Keeping the line he had already destined before the foundations of the world to culminate in Jesus Christ through Noah and his son Shem. And after that, it all comes easier. He claimed he would not destroy the world again by flood. In fact, he will ensure the earth's existence to the end of the age to usher in the eternal state. Now, that was a long way around in the application to get to my really first one out of this passage, and that is security. Security. This passage in Noah should move us to great faith and confidence in the Lord. Preparedness. Preparedness. Not panic. Faith, not fear. Matthew 6, 631 and 33 do not worry then what we are to eat or drink or what we are to wear. The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be provided. In Psalm 93, 1 and 2, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and encircled himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. In other words, and here's where we filter things from the world. Global warming, overpopulation, wars and rumors of war. Will not collapse God and his world. Not until he has accomplished his purposes and bring back. Confidence, confidence, not fear. So when we go in, we have stewardship, yes. And then we, Paul reminded me the other day in the middle of uh, the bad weather, make sure you have a generator. 
Well, I have one. <laughs> Not sure it works, but I have a generator. You had preparedness is one thing. Fear is another. There is a song, a hymn that says, this is my father's world. It's not just, it's not just a nice line in a hymn. It is the truth. So how shall we live in the light of God's promise in this account to Noah to preserve his world? Secure in confidence, not fear. Be wise, not afraid. And then sealed. This is a, a section of, of verses that are important. 1 Corinthians 1.19, For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but has been yes in him. For as many as the promises of God are in him, they are yes. Therefore, through him also is our amen to the glory of God through us. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is the promise he made himself, he made to us eternal life. Now Spurgeon wrote something that I thought was very uh, appropriate for this part, and that is, where God reminded, he sent the rainbow to remind Noah that he remembers, that God remembers, not that Noah would remember, right? Spurgeon says, my looking to Jesus brings me joy and peace, but it is God looking to Jesus which secures my salvation and that of all of his elect. Since it is impossible for our God to look at Christ, our bleeding surety, and then be angry with us for sins already punished in him. No, it is not left with us even to be saved by remembering the covenant. It is not of man, neither by man, but of the Lord alone. We should remember the covenant, and we shall do it through divine grace. But the hinge of our safety, he writes, does not hang there. It is God's remembering us, not our remembering him. And hence, the covenant is an everlasting covenant. We are sealed and hidden in Christ. And then lastly, worship. How should we move from what happened with Noah and the family and seeing the rainbow? 2 Corinthians 7.1 says... Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs of the promise. Brothers and sisters, can you imagine Noah and family every time it clouded up and the lightning started? I mean, that's, that's a form of PTSD. I mean... What is happening here? And the fear that come, would come upon them. And then they'd see the rainbow. I believe, I can't prove this, but I believe every time it rained, for a good while after Noah got out of that ark, there was a rainbow. To help them remember. And brothers and sisters, 
what we have here and why it is so vitally important that we, when we embark on the Lord's Supper every week, is we are seeing, we are seeing that God remembers. We remember and we're grateful and it leads us to worship. But here we worship mightily because in these elements, in this sign, we know that God remembers us. That's the most important part through the whole process. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day and, and uh, the blessings. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Noah and his family and all they went through. Uh, Lord, it'll be interesting to know that clearly one day. Please move us to be confident in what you are doing in your world. Be confident in living a life for Christ because we are sealed by your Holy Spirit. And worship faithfully and from our heart for what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.